amazes me every time. Why don't people stand up and throw things or, you know, stand up and go, I don't believe this. This is a bunch of crap and walk out. Why don't they walk on the stage when you're on there? And I mean, all these things could happen, but they don't. Hello, this is Barbara St. Clair, and you are listening to Arts In, AI for short. My guest today is Lisa Powers Tricomi, who is an actress and a director and a theater maven. <laughs> you directed a one-person, a one-actor show called True. It was about mm-hmm. Truman Capote, um, right after he was shunned by all the New York socialites, and he is having the worst moment of his life. And he has to, as a single actor, for two hours, essentially, create an emotional world and a world of truth. As a director, what it, what is it like to work with an actor to get to that kind of emotional place? Well, luckily, I was working with a very seasoned and very talented actor by the name of Mark Chambers. And Mark Chambers had actually done the show before down in South Florida. So he had um, a lot of the um, heavy lifting out of the way in terms of having already performed the play, researched the play. You know, we didn't have to go through a lot of that kind of stuff about Truman and, you know, where he was at this moment. So Mark had already had that. But um, I think we added a layer to this performance, which was sort of a darker side to what was happening with Truman, trying to find the things that uh, someone would do when they're living alone, when they're trying to keep their spirits and their uh, momentum going, but also... um, in the face of sort of like the phoenix from the ashes moment. So as a director, how do you help an actor get to that more nuanced, darker place? Well, one of the things we talked about was um, throughout the whole play, Truman is either drinking or smoking pot or taking pills. And we sort of talked about the emotional life of someone and looking at the moments leading up to each time that was indicated in the play. So we would stop and we would say, well, so here it indicates he lights up a joint. But what has happened prior to that, even though he's making these quips and he's joking and he's sort of telling these great stories, what has happened to lead him to that moment where he's going to go have another drink? He's going to pour himself another drink, right? So so looking at those things prior to those times when he takes a pill, he takes a drink, he smokes a joint. What has led him up to that? Even though it's part of his habit, we also find him trying to not drink in in the play. So so that also gives you an idea of like, what about this story that he just told makes him want to then go have a drink? Um, we also talked about the stories as defense mechanisms. And when is he telling a story that's to sort of Um, push away, you know, to sort of defend himself into going someplace. And it's usually after he's told a very personal or private story. So it's usually after he's revealed a little something that's gone a little bit deeper, that's um, maybe not a happy memory, or he's starting to go down, you know, the rabbit hole of um, sort of self-pity or something. And then he'll tell like a very funny story. So we kind of we kind of followed his pattern of storytelling to help guide the emotional journey of the entire evening. So as a director and working with an actor, 
Do you find that that starts to have some resonance personally for the actor or for you? Or can you maintain your distance? Well, it's so funny, you know, for me, um, having also been, you know, having done a lot of acting and a lot of directing. And I think as a director, I do ask people to sort of dig a little bit deeper into themselves. Um, I don't know. I think there comes a time where you just can't keep any distance. You've got to connect it to something about it that you understand internally. I think you have to hook into that. Um, there's a, you know, it's the age old question, you know, are, do you really feel it or don't you, you know what I mean? It's the age old acting question. Are they acting or are they really experiencing it? So, and I, I think the answer's always both, but I think that for something for, I really wanted this play to feel very intimate. I wanted you to feel like you were sitting in True's living room. I wanted you to feel like he was talking directly to you. So I tried to remove that distance for the audience and make it less um, presentational. I wanted it to feel like you were sitting with your best friend who was going through a dark night of the soul and you were just sort of being the supportive listener, you know? And that's kind of the way I wanted the audience to feel, that they were like a supportive listener. And so uh, I loved 620. I loved using 620 for that reason. I thought it was just a perfect space for that kind of, you know, it would have been very different if it was on um, a proscenium. I tend to like the more intimate spaces anyway. I like that experience for directing and acting and watching. So you were talking about that your, your character and therefore, in a sense, the actor and also you as a director in that moment were guiding a performance experience in such a way that uh, the character in the play was going through a dark night of the soul and that the audience was playing, in a sense, the role of a supportive friend, a participant not encouraging the dark night of the soul, but not judging it either, being aware of it and being empathetic of it. And what struck me is that I know you've been doing a lot of work with veterans, Mm -hmm. that maybe there was some connection between some of those emotions and some of those experiences for working as a director or an actress, actor with veterans? Well, certainly it's a different approach when you're working with basically non-performers because um, the veterans were non-performers, most of them. I think there was one um, that I've worked with recently who was a um, spoken word artist, so he was used to performing. But you have to be very careful in that situation, especially something as as big as, uh, say, a combat veteran, because you you want to get to the emotional life, but you also don't want to go to a place that um, someone may not have the ego strength or the, you know, be prepared to go to. I mean, I would say to a person, each veteran I've worked with has said by the end of those performances, they did feel emotionally connected to their stories in a different way. But it's almost the opposite. You know, uh, so many times working with the veterans, it's not the stories because they many times they've told their story a hundred times. They're almost detached from their stories, right? It's just a story. But when you're performing, 
I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole idea is that you're emotionally connected to the story. You want to elicit a, a response or a feeling from the audience, but I think to ask someone to understand and connect to their story in a, in a different way than just telling it is always a little tricky. So I'm always from the school of theater and I'm a drama therapist as well. So I'm always looking for, for that a little bit of a deeper connection than uh, I can't speak for other people. So I'll just say that's kind of always what I'm looking for that because I, I know the power of theater. I know I mean, as a performer, the power of performing, really. I understand sort of what what that can do, the things that it can free up or unclog or make clear, um, the strength that comes from it, making those kinds of connections internally, and then understanding that that's being received and heard by someone else is a really, really powerful thing. So... Working with the veterans was a little bit of a different approach because I wouldn't ask the same things from them in the same way that I ask a trained actor, you know, because the actors, I I feel like um, they're asking for that. (laughs) They've decided this is what they're going to do for a living. So they're asking for it. You know, they are open to it. They want it. I think working with the veterans, I don't know that they necessarily understand completely what they're getting themselves into. So I try to uh, make that clear to them and also not push, not push. I mean, you kind of know what someone is willing to do or not willing to do after you've worked with them for a little bit. And then not, you know, because the result in working with the veterans is not the power of the performance. That's not the goal of like, and then we're going to have this amazing thing and everyone's, you know, that's, that's not the objective. It's not entertainment and it's not to make the audience feel something the way, the same way that it is in, when you're doing other kinds of theater and performance, you know? So can you describe the the veterans program that you were involved in Mm -hmm. and what the goals actually were? Mm -hmm. So the project that I um, worked on uh, is uh, part of a larger project called The Telling Project, which is a national project. Um, Two guys uh, that live in Austin, Texas right now are The Telling Project, uh, Jonathan Way and Max Raynard. And they are funded by the Bob Woodruff Foundation, and they've been doing this for about eight years now. And the Florida Humanities Council decided that they wanted to um, be involved in some sort of something for veterans. And so um, we met and we talked and we found the Telling Project and researched that because we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, we just wanted to have some kind of programming in the state. So we connected with them. We've done three performances with them so far. And what happens is a telling project, either Max or Jonathan, they come in, we recruit the veterans, they interview the veterans. There's about a two-hour interview process. And then they take those interviews, they transcribe them, and they weave them into a script that they then send back to us And I work with the veterans to get the stage performance going. And the goal of that is to really give voices to the local veterans. Um, We've done it in three different communities, so it's not like one show that you travel around. Um, Is to give voices to the veterans 
and uh, have it, it's really to bridge the gap between the veteran and the civilian population. And um, and it does that in a really powerful way and in a way that I haven't seen anything else really do. So how is that informing you as a director and as an actor? I, I, I think that it's um, because of my other studies, um, you know, the, the using theater in a therapeutic way um, for non-entertainment purposes, even though those veterans, even though those um, telling projects were performances, it really, uh, really puts that idea into perspective of like changing your thoughts about what theater is changing anyone's thought about what theater is that it's not necessarily for entertainment and it's also you know we live in this time and this is what I wanted to be really careful of when I was working with the veterans um, from the very beginning you know we live in this time of like emotional pornography where we really love reality tv show we really love you know you know watching people you know experience i don't even know really i mean i'm sure in in 10 or 15 years we'll have more studies about what this is but we really you know i don't know i don't know if it's that we're removed from other people's experiences or i'm not really sure what we're getting out of it but um, we we do live in this time where reality TV is so big and, and we like to sit back and watch other people. It doesn't even feel to me, now this is just my opinion, that it's, that it's like for empathic reasons, like the best reasons you would think we'd want to watch people experience things and go through things and understand people's stories. It feels like it's voyeuristic in a way that we can either look at or, whoo, I'm glad that's not me or, or an oddity or something, right? Like we sort of relish in the novelty of strange things and other lifestyles. Um, maybe that's just my point of view. Maybe some people really do look at it and go, oh, I understand what it's like to be, you know, a housewife of rich basketball players. That's awesome, you know. But this whole, you know, or sending people on dates on islands somewhere, you know, survive, you know, whatever it is. But I, I like the idea of, of um, I, I wanted to be very careful when I worked with them that we weren't doing that. Because I don't really want to be a part of that, <laughs> so I wanted to be very careful that we we stayed focused on the power of performance, and that this was about um, the veterans telling their stories. I felt like my job the whole time was to get them prepared for what it feels like, you know, get them ready to be on stage in front of people because that is a scary thing very scary. And, and then also to feel like rock stars when they were done, like that they had worked the hardest and done the best they could and, and to be able to receive some accolades after that, because it's scary. It's scary enough being on stage. I mean, I, I would, I always thought when I would go in to work with them, would I ever want to take some of the most horrifying, scary moments of my life and then stand in a room full of people with lights on me and a big microphone and stand in a room full of people that I didn't know and tell that story. No, Never. I would not. So what, what really I, I love about the veterans that I've worked with is they're, um, they wanted to tell those stories to help other people. 
You know, it wasn't like, I want to get on stage or I want everyone to look at me. It was always about maybe someone out there needs to hear this story. And also they, a lot of them needed to tell that story. And so I, I, I like that, um, we can use performance in so many ways, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of power in it. And I think about like, you know, Boal or, or, you know, different theater, um, philosophies and theories and practices that use theater for so much more than just, I'm going to see a play tonight. And there's nothing wrong with just, I'm going to see a play tonight, but we underuse, I think, theater in a, for, for its most powerful way. I think we don't use it enough in, in our culture. I don't think we use it nearly enough. I don't think we know the benefits of it. So perhaps for transforming experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is that what drew you to theater as a, a young person? How did you get involved in uh... <laughs> It was all a big mistake. Um, yeah, when I was in high school, uh, I went to Largo High School, and Carla Webster was my drama teacher, and she was awesome. And I was a bit of a wayward youth. I didn't like school very much. I didn't like going. And she kind of pulled me aside, and I think she saw something, or whether she saw me struggling to, you know, care or you know um and I remember she gave me I was a sophomore and she gave me a lead role in um a show and she said I have never given a sophomore a lead role in a play so you better not mess this up and I was like well, you know I didn't know I wasn't someone I mean I had done things as a kid you know I took tap and ballet I really loved ballet and but I never was like I want to be an actor and I did, I did that, and, uh, and I was kind of good at it, which I was surprised about. And then, uh, and then I kind of had to figure out what I was going to do. And there was, a, you know, they have like those days where all the colleges from across the state come. And they, I was at, actually at St. Pete Junior College by that time, and they had one of those days. And Florida School of the Arts was there, and they were like, you could come up and audition, and I did, and... They let me in, and and then I really learned about theater. Like I, re they did a lot of Grotowski and stuff like that, and I thought I was in a cult. I like I didn't know what was happening because we weren't doing plays. You know, they were doing all that intensive training, and uh, I did that for a year, and then I went to USF, and there were some amazing instructors at USF, and then it really became more than studying theater. It became like a personal journey, like all of that great stuff about like you know, observing humanity and then going inside and really, I mean, it just really changed who I was. That That's what changed who I was. Not getting on the stage or I want to be an actor. It was more the personal work that was involved. And then the, um, you know, just observing humanity and observing other people and observing the world in a way that I never, ever even thought about. And um, I had some really great teachers. There were some really great, uh, Dennis Calandra, Chris Steele, uh, Monica Bishop. There was just you know, Jack Belt. There was just some really great people. Nancy Cole. There was a lot of great people that really cared 
you know, and, you know, I was you know 19 or 20. So, of course, it was a great time, you know. Sure. Yeah. So it's interesting that you said, talking about the personal work, because I heard you in a different conversation and something you brought up that I hadn't thought of in exactly that way until I heard you speak about it was that as an actor, you're really performing somebody else's work. But yet you're creating your own work in that exact moment. Yeah, I've always um felt like as actors you know it's it's uh it's you can't be thin-skinned you know when you go on auditions it's not like another kind of art form where you go well this is my picture and it's distanced from me right like there's no distance you're you you're out there you're you you're doing your thing I mean I know that for every art whatever you've created is very personal but there's always a little bit of a there's something, there's some sort of buffer, you know, between you and the thing, even though you're connected to it. This is my artwork. This is my sculpture. This is me playing this instrument, this, you know, um, but when you're acting, it's not, it's just you. And some of it has to do with the way you look and some of it has to do with your acting and some of it has to do with your voice or, you know, so there's always something about you that's usually going to get rejected usually. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a, you gotta really like mentally, you know, get yourself okay with that kind of stuff. It's you. There's nothing else. So you know? what, what uh, entices you then about acting? What, what, what compels you to do it? Um, when it's at its best for me is it's, it's like, there's nothing for me more, um, it's like church for me when I'm performing different than when I'm directing. That's a whole different ball game. But when I'm performing, it is like, it's very, it's a very powerful feeling because even though it's not my words and even though it's not my story, I am um, connecting uh, on a very, to me, it's a very spiritual level with everyone that's in that room I mean, what other place besides church do you get a couple hundred people in a room and we've all decided for two hours, we're going to sit here in this space together, this liminal space, and we, you're going to perform, we're going to watch. I, it amazes me every time. Why don't people stand up and throw things or you know, stand up and go, I don't believe this. This is a bunch of crap and walk out. Why don't they walk on the stage when you're on there? And I mean, all these things could happen, right? Someone could just walk up to you on the stage and say like, I don't like that, you know, hat you're wearing or what. I mean, all of those things could happen, but they don't. Why not? Why? I don't, you know, but it's amazing to me that that's the, that that happens. I mean, the only other place I know that happens is like a church, like where someone's up there and there's some people out here and there's something going on for a couple hours that we've all agreed we're going to sit and do and watch. Theater is just, you know, it's about stories and human condition. And um, we all decide to do that for a couple hours. We're going to go off on this little thing and then come back. So when I'm performing... That's kind of never lost on me. That's kind of the thing that sustains me because I just can't believe it. I, can't. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but I can't believe that we're all going to sit here and be in a story together. It never feels separate. 
it always feels like we're all in the story together and um, we're going to take a little journey together. Well, maybe and that's it, the answer about why people don't sort of, this is not meant to be a pun, but maybe it's why they don't act out during the performance because there's an agreement that you're in the story yeah. together and the role of the audience is just as clear in a certain way as the role of the, yeah. of the, the actors. Yeah. So, um, obviously you're drawn to acting. Um, <laughs> you also direct. So, mm -hmm. And you pointed out that it's quite different for you when you direct. So mm -hmm. how is that different? Well, directing is sort of like... Um, you gotta be the guide. So pretty much you, you need to be the person that has the vision that everyone is working toward. So when you're an actor, you just kind of get to do your, your thing. I mean, you're with other people, of course, and you're acting with other people, but you get to be responsible for your part. Um, I think as a director, you're kind of responsible for everybody's parts. <laughs> you're kind of, you know, you're guiding the designers, you're guiding the actors, you're getting, your job is to get everyone on board with your vision and your interpretation of the story that you're telling. So there's a lot more pieces involved. There's a lot more plates spinning. There's a lot more, you know, you're guiding, you're driving the bus. So you know? which do you think is more you, actor or director? Actor, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's where it's where I feel the most full. When I direct, I feel tired. <laughs> Acting energizes me and directing makes me very tired. So <laughs> do you have different choices as an artist? Do you have like different plays you'd rather act in versus or different playwrights you'd rather perform their work versus a director? Like I would love to direct, you know, so and so, but I'd never want to act in their play or vice versa or Oh no, no. I would say most of the things that I would want to direct would also be things that I would want to act in too. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. Yeah. So who I'm not I'm not like a I'm not like a template director. Do you know what I mean? Like I it's the same way with that I am with acting. Like I need to kind of feel emotionally connected to a show so that I feel like I understand it. And um, you know, I didn't start out to become a director. So I think that when people when all they want to do is direct, they understand it in a in a their approach might be a little bit different. Um, but I only understand it kind of from the actor's point of view, even though I've, you know, directed a lot and taken classes and read a lot of books <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, I still I think I come at it a little more um, from an actor that directs as opposed to a director that acts. However, I do think everyone should every actor should try to direct and every director should be in a play at least every three years. <laughs> to remember what it's like to be on the other side. <laughs> I know I had to do a monologue on a play that I wrote, uh -huh. and I came away from the monologue saying there were way too many words. I, I don't think I'll ever write as many words again in having had to perform right. that. Right, right. In a certain sense, I think for an actor, having to perform someone else's words 
if they wrote the words well, and there are not too many Oof. of them, or if they didn't, then you have to really... Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some really, really good actors make some really bad plays really good. <laughs> I, I try to always remember that your actors are your best resource. So I think that's true of playwrights. I think that's true of directors. I think that's true of everyone. You're, if, you're, if you're not counting on your actors, and if you're not um, taking your feedback from your actors, you are squandering your greatest resource. So what makes a good actor? Mm. Well, that's hard. Um, meh, that's a hard question. I don't know that I can really answer that question. Um, I think... I think what are some of the things that make you that Willingness, happen? openness, honesty, fearlessness. You want all those things. And what, what are some of the things that make a good director? <laughs> um, openness. <laughs> Not thinking. Uh, I think a good director... Um, one, uh, being open to things changing. And a good director understands they're only as good as all of the people that are involved in their production. So I think that it's kind of like, I heard someone say this once, um, when you're putting a show together, uh, you've got to know that you're going to be with these people for six to eight weeks. And you want people that are especially in terms of, of all of them, your designers and your actors, you want, you want the best and the brightest in the room, and then you want to listen to them, right? So if you have a really great lighting designer, you, want it, you don't want to say like, no, I absolutely don't want that. You want the lighting designer to say, I'm going to make this look fabulous, and it's probably most of the time it's different than what I had in my mind, and they're right. That's why they're a lighting designer or a sound designer or a set designer or a costume designer. So I think that unless someone, you know, is really just not understanding what the vision is, and then I think that's also the fault of the director. Like if someone isn't really on board, um, you have to get them on board. But I think that the director, it's like, um, it's like you're throwing a party, you're having a dinner party. And you're going to invite the smartest, wittiest, most talented people to your dinner party. That's who you put on your team. And that's a smart director because that's 90% of the job. And let those people, you know, let the actors do the things they do. Let the designers do the things they do. They want to. They're great at it. So um, to sort of not be a dictator, but to be the guide and to communicate your vision clearly, and then let people work toward that. So looking back on your body of work, um, are there any plays that either as an actor or a director you think back and say, you know, that was just a, a key experience, that was a peak experience working on that? <laughs> yeah, I have a few. I have a couple of those. Um, one that I would like to do again was in 1997. It, I was working at American Stage, and we did a, a production of Macbeth in the park that was uh, punk rock. Uh, Joe Pop was the composer, and uh, his band were the Witches. And we had Stephanie Roberts, and I mean, we had a, just a great cast. I would like to do that show again. 
Um, I would like to, uh, I wasn't quite, I would just like to do it again now that I have 20 years under my belt, you know, I would like to do that one again. And, uh, I would love to do some, um, Beckett. I've done uh, a little bit of Beckett, but I would like to do some more Samuel Beckett. Any particular Beckett? No, not really. Just, just anything. His plays are very hard to do. Yeah. So what is it about them that... They're hilarious. I think, I don't, I don't know that they're, well, I won't say that they're that hard to do, but I think people have this immediate um, reaction to it, like it's horrible and depressing and, or they don't understand it or something like that. And I just think, I think his plays are hilarious um, great sense of humor. I love the slapstick quality to them. Um, I love, uh, that they make you kind of, <laughs> you know, reflect in a way that I don't know many other playwrights that do that. And, um, you know, I, I, I like those kind of experiences in the theater. That's, that's what I like, you know, I mean, I like all of them, but, um, I don't, I don't, I think that people shy away from some of those other stranger, uncomfortable experiences. And I, I kind of like them. I like, I like offering them as a director, but I also like experiencing them as an audience member and as an actor. I think that if you can, you know, if we're all in that room together and you can sort of hold that feeling together and that strange quality um, that his plays you know, bring up, I think that's, I think you've had a good shared experience if you can sit through those things together and work on those things together. Well, it's, it's interesting to me too, because, um, you said you do drama therapy mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> somehow Beckett, I've sat through some of them and I almost feel at least in some of them that I've been through a therapy session. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely transformed by that moment yeah. if I'm letting it happen. Yeah. You kind of wonder where you go, right? Yes. A little bit. You're like, where did we just go? Where where have where where are we? Yeah. So as somebody who doesn't really understand what drama therapy is, can you talk to me a little bit about yeah. that? So you know, um, like Freud, where you go in and psychoanalysis and you sit down and you spend about like hours and hours and hours talking about really intellectual and deep things. It's like the total opposite of that. So it's basically, I mean, in a nutshell, it's taking theatrical techniques and applying them in a therapeutic context. So it's theater for um, non-entertainment purposes. And you can use them. I mean, is it, you know, can you use drama therapy in an educational setting? Sure. Can you use it in a therapeutic setting? Yes. Can it be used for entertainment? Sure. There was um, years ago, there was, um, so there's a drama therapy form called playback theater, which is pretty involved. And it involves like a troupe of actors and you go into other settings. It's used in all kinds of settings. But I remember when I was in New York, there was, uh, they basically made like an off-Broadway play using 
um, playback theater and it was called Life Stories or something. And it was a troupe of actors and you would uh, pick a person out of the audience and they would come up on stage and they would tell their stories and then it would get acted out. And that's the only time I've ever seen like drama therapy used for entertainment purposes. And I was, I was a little horrified actually. I was like, oh no, you can't, can't be doing that. But again, you know, people, it's that sort of like, that weird voyeuristic thing where people want to see that. I mean, and in its very best therapeutic ways, that's, that's in, um, you take that into communities that have a shared experience and, you know, you help people, uh, it fosters conversation and shared experiences with, you know, someone else in that, whatever that group was that you're addressing, you know, it helps them connect. It helps people feel not alone. It helps, you know, all that stuff to see their, you know, maybe their stories, maybe they don't want to get up and, and act their story, but um, someone else is enacting their story and the power in that of watching other people, basically, you know, this trained troop, you know, take on the emotional life of what someone else is experiencing is, is it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful stuff. So that's just like a little slice. There's all kinds of there's a, there, for as many theory, you know, for as many, there's lots of theories of drama therapy. There's not just one. So, although something you said is really interesting to me because it made me want to go back to talking about true again. Mm-hmm. Because there's a couple things that I took away from seeing that play. One was I had no idea that he was as good, a, that Truman Capote was as good a writer as he was. Certainly I've read in Cold Blood, and um, mm-hmm. but the essay that he reads about his um, his aunt, I think. Oh, from A Christmas Memory? Right. Mm. And hearing that out loud and participating with the actor as a character in that memory moment was... Uh, very transformational for me in the audience, not just on the entertainment level, but on that shared experience level, which I always mm-hmm. think when theater is really doing um, its work, mm-hmm. that that deep work that it does, that that's what happens to an, an audience if everything mm-hmm. is being handled right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... Certainly for that character, it was like a therapy session in a way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sort of ask the question I asked earlier well, in like in a different way. Go ahead. You well, definitely something? my um, training in drama therapy has changed the way I approach directing and acting. Absolutely. I mean, internally for me, not so much, I'm, you know, not so much on the surface if someone, you know, was directed by me, you know, before I was, you know, a drama therapist, then after they might not notice much of a difference, but also, you know, I'm older and, you know, so experience and things like that. But in terms of what I'm, um, how I'm approaching it, yeah, it has changed. It has um, made me look deeper into the characters and sort of um, try to understand, which, which I kind of always did anyway, but it, it has, um, allowed me to, um, you know, here's the way I feel like going into the theater, um, was sort of for me, like 
what drew me in was sort of like trying to understand things about the human condition, right? I mean, it wasn't like I want to be a movie star or those were not the things for me. So I feel like all of that is connected for me, the the theater world, the drama therapy world, you know, my sort of diving into that is still just a quest to understand the human condition, really, more and more and more. I know so many actors um, that started out as history majors or in psychology. I think that anyone who is that deeply involved on a deep level in any of the arts, I think it's always kind of, I mean, I know people always say it's about self-expression, but it's not. I think it's about trying to understand the human condition and, and you never really understand. There's always work to be done and a little deeper to dig and, and just sort of trying to get, you know, a little better handle on that. Well, I think that's uh, an amazing way of positioning what makes it really important and powerful. Yeah. And I uh, mean, not that I understand it any better, the human condition. <laughs> but you're engaging but, with it. <laughs> right, yeah. What makes a life? Well, Lisa Powers Trichome, I really appreciate what you had to offer us today. Thank you so very Thank much you. for joining. Thank you. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, our wonderful production team, and you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.